Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm always one of the most specialist records for me because I was on tour with um, Little Wayne and Ross, and I was so excited to um, get with Drake, you know, seeing Drake and tell him how much I want to, you know, make history with him. And he played me this one verse and hook. And I was like, oh my God, he, he sent it to me. And I was like, yo, this is the record. Let me finish it. So. He gave me the blessings to go finish it. And I went and put Ross on it and Lil Wayne on it. Ross knocked it out for me when we was on tour. And, you know, Wayne goes in the studio every night, no matter what's going on. And he knocked it out like five, six in the morning. And this is me coming off a tour. I'm excited. Um, my career's starting to climb. And then, boom, I record a song with Drake, Lil Wayne, and Rick Ross called I'm On One. That record change the energy and the the level of greatness for a decade. After that record came out, it's like everybody had to step it up. DJ Khaled was on top of the music world at about the same time his favorite team, the Miami Heat, were living their dream as well. Welcome back to Four Years of Heat. I'm your host, Israel Gutierrez, and this is episode six, The Shot. I'm on one, in which Lil Wayne drops a Pat Riley reference and a heat double entendre in his verse, was released during Miami's first championship season with this core. And by the time the 2013 finals began, the defending champion Heat had been through a 66-win regular season that included a 27-game win streak. 
and made it through the Eastern Conference playoffs, highlighted by a seven-game series against a rugged rival, the Indiana Pacers, in the conference finals. Awaiting them in the finals was the type of test this Heat team hadn't experienced yet. A physically daunting task that was unlike the Pacers, who did it with size and toughness. The Spurs exhausted teams by making them chase a basketball constantly in motion, forcing one closeout after another after another, only to still find an open opportunity. And if the shot went in, it only drained defenders a little bit more. It was a constant test of conditioning and mental resilience. Udonis Haslam remembers just how taxing it was to stay with these Spurs, especially in the last series of the year after the Heat had already played 98 games to that point and were in their third straight year reaching the final series of the season. Like I knew this about these guys. I knew the way they play the game of basketball is the right way to play the game. Um, maximizing the potential of all your guys that's on the court at one time. Very few teams do that. You know, you might maximize the potential of one or two guys and the rest of the guys got to fill in the gaps or get the scraps. They maximize the potential of all five guys on the court at the same time. You had to worry about all five guys. Everybody was active. Everybody was a threat. Everybody was involved. It was just a basketball team, man, a great basketball team. So, you know, we knew that they were going to push us, you know, to our limits, you know, mentally, you know, not just physically, but more so mentally than anything. Shane Battier already felt he'd reached his physical limit by this point. After a regular season of playing as an undersized power forward for the small ball heat, Battier didn't even have much left for the Pacers in the conference finals. He hit just two of his 15 shots in that series, all but one being three-point attempts. And by game seven, Battier didn't play at all. So heading into a Spurs series where the ball whipped around the court much faster, Battier wasn't excited about his prospects. I was exhausted by that point. So I played the entire year, full year. Uh, we have a, you know, obviously a great year. And I spent, you know, 30 minutes banging at the power forward every single night and guarding guys who are 30, 40 pounds heavier than me every single night. And I could do it and I did it and I was smart about it. But by, by the playoffs, I was, I was just gassed. I had no legs. And that showed in my, my shooting. And I just got to a point where I couldn't make a shot. And <laughs> I was beyond frustrated. I was, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed for, for how bad I was playing now, how much I was letting the team down. Battier was always helpful with an intelligent quote, whether it was dissecting how to guard the best players in the league or gauging the mood of the team at any point. On the subject of his poor play and eventual benching in game seven against the Pacers, however, Battier probably offered his most memorable quote as a member of the Heat. He said of the benching, sometimes you've got to eat a turd sandwich. Makes the ribeye taste better next time. Okay, so maybe you didn't want to remember that quote, but it stuck anyway. And after that unfortunate meal, there was only one option for a follow-up ribeye that season. It would have to be the spurs of Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, and Kawhi Leonard, who offered a completely different look than those Pacers did anyway. Well, they, they played small. They, they were able to match up our, our small ball. And so put Duncan on, on CB and, and put Kawhi at the, at, the, at the four and play Ginobili and Parker and a shooter. And so where Indiana stylistically was a much different uh, game, uh, was much more ground and pound, they, Spurs were able to take away some of our, uh, some of our spacing with their, with their speed. And so that was really the first time a team tried to match up with us and go small. And it was, it was like, you know, looking in the mirror. 
What was staring back at Miami was the most dominant team in those playoffs, according to the numbers. The Spurs outscored opponents by seven full points in their 21 games that postseason. The only other team that was even close was the Heat at a 6.4 differential. Just for reference, in the 21-22 postseason, the champion Warriors outscored opponents by an average of five points in their 22 games, the largest gap that postseason. Matt Bonner was a reserve on that Spurs team that had beaten the Lakers, Warriors, and Grizzlies that postseason. He'd already won a title over LeBron James while with the Spurs in 2007, when they defeated LeBron's Cavaliers. Bonner also happened to be a teammate of Chris Bosh's, having began his career with the Toronto Raptors in 2004. He saw a Heat team that was more daunting than any opponent he'd faced so far in those playoffs. A team so defensively capable, they employed tactics that didn't exactly match up with the times. They had a lot of talent, but they were really well coached. They all had really high basketball IQs, and their level of execution on both ends of the floor was, was a very high level. Like, they guarded pick and rolls by hard hedging, which you rarely see this day and age in the NBA. They had one of the top defenses in the league on, on top of all the talent they had on offense. But I just remember, like, there was no let up. No matter what five they had on the court, there was no... Like, all right, we can relax a little bit or we can take advantage of this lineup. There was there was very there was like no weaknesses. Game one of that finals would beg to differ. The box score was a bit of a puzzle, as the Heat shot better than the Spurs from the field and the three-point line, and out-rebounded San Antonio. But the Spurs would only turn the ball over four times the entire game, compared to Miami's eight, giving San Antonio the few more shot attempts it needed. And with his team up two points with single digits on the clock, Tony Parker turned a broken play into a game-winning bank shot that remains one of the craziest finishes to an NBA Finals game. And yet, not even the craziest finish of this series. Shot clock at one. Parker not going to get a shot off. And he banks it in. What a shot from Parker. Parker discussed his wild banker afterward. It was a crazy play. Uh, I thought I lost the ball like three, four times and uh, didn't work out like I wanted to. But, you know, at the end, I was just trying to get a shot up and um, felt good when they left my hand. And uh, I was happy it went in. <laughs> just like that, the Heat were down one game to none in the NBA Finals for the second straight year. Unlike the last Finals, when Miami was confident it would recover from its Game 1 loss to the Thunder, this loss to the Spurs left the Heat confused. Where were the glaring mistakes to fix? It was hard to tell. But somehow, LeBron only managed 18 points, the most on the team. Wade had 17, and Bosch and Allen both had 13. And given how it ended, with the Spurs capitalizing on a little luck at the end, it felt like a season of amazing feats was already on the brink of ending with a second finals failure in three seasons. Here's Haslam. We were a little nervous. <laughs> we were a little nervous. I tell you, with losing game one at OKC, we, we built confidence because you can look back and say, OK, I made this mistake. I made that mistake. If I don't do this, I don't do that. These are different things. And that's San Antonio. you like, we did, we, where did we go wrong? What happened? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When did this, you know what I mean? So now they, so they, they have you searching a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Instead of going right in the locker room saying, you know what, I knew I messed that up. I knew I messed this up. We fixed this. We'll be fine. Now you're just kind of searching a little bit. And they put you in that place where is what we do 
are, is what we're bringing, is it good enough? Is it enough? They put you in that place of a little bit of doubt sometimes. That's the doubt you get from San Antonio, because unlike some teams, they're not going to lose it. You're going to have to win it. To pull this series out against the Spurs, not only would the Heat have to face an offense that gives you no time to think and runs you ragged, they'd have to face a defensive philosophy that had already confounded LeBron James in the past. Not only did Spurs coach Greg Popovich implement a defensive game plan against LeBron in the 2007 finals that earned his Spurs a title, but Mavericks coach Rick Carlisle brought back similar strategies to slow LeBron and eventually win the 2011 finals. The first two plus quarters of game two did very little to quell the concerns of the Heat. That Popovich defense once again kept LeBron under wraps as he missed 10 of his first 13 shots in that game. Late in the third quarter, the Heat were trailing by a point. An arena decked with Heat fans wearing white was noticeably nervous as the Spurs were calmly keeping Miami in check for a second straight game. That's when Mario Chalmers, the point guard who saved the day in game four against the Thunder in the previous finals by having a big scoring night against Kevin Durant, came to the rescue again. Before the series began, Chalmers figured this wasn't going to be a great series for him once he learned the Spurs tried not to anger their opponents. I know it's going to be a tough series for me where they told me that San Antonio is a team that kills you with kindness. And like everybody knows me, I love a confrontation. I love when you talk to me, I'm going to talk back. But I can't handle, uh, oh, you missed that shot. You'll make it again next time. Like, huh? Like, how are you on the opposite team telling me that I'm going to make the shot next time I shoot it? Like, I can't handle that. I don't know what to say to that. So who would say that? All of them. Tim Duncan would say it. Tony Parker would say it. Like, they were such a nice team and nice guys. It was like, like, no, we out here for blood. Like, this is for the championship. Like, I'm not supposed to like you. I'm supposed to respect you, which I do respect you, but I'm not supposed to like you in this moment. And you're not giving me nothing to not like you. Like, you pat me on the back, you helping me out. You like, you just being a nice guy. And it's kind of like, I don't like that. Like, I don't like you being a nice guy to me. You can do that off the court. But basketball, we're, we're going at it. In game two, though, Chalmers didn't need the Spurs players to tick him off. The score and situation already did. The Heat were at home, and it was starting to feel like that game six in 2011 when Dallas quieted the Heat's home crowd for good. With 3-11 left in the third, Chalmers drove for a layup, which he converted while being fouled by Spurs guard Danny Green. Chalmers counted and won. I don't know if Green actually got a piece of it. Either way, James misfires, but Chalmers with an aggressive move. Chalmers would convert the free throw and on the next play assist on a Ray Allen three-pointer. Then, after assisting on a LeBron layup, Chalmers finished the quarter with another and one. Chalmers. Into the lane, push shot, got it, and fouled! And Rio to the line for another and one! In the fourth, Rio added another short jumper to give him eight points and two assists during a 23-2 run that gave Miami a sudden 19-point lead. The game was never close again. And despite Chalmers outscoring all his teammates with 19, it was enough of a team effort to comfortably beat San Antonio and tie the series at a game apiece. In the hallway from the court to the Heat locker room, a space the team calls Championship Alley, cameras caught LeBron praising his point guard. Big time, man. Big time, boy, what a point. Still, the Heat had given up home court advantage to the Spurs, 
and were facing the daunting task of having to play three consecutive games in San Antonio and win at least one to avoid elimination and regain the home court edge. Well, game three did just as much to hurt Miami's hopes as game two did to buoy the Heat. After winning by 19 in game two, the Heat lost by 36 in game three in San Antonio. The Spurs shooters were at their most lethal as Danny Green and Gary Neal combined to hit 13 three-pointers in just 19 attempts. Neal has to put it up way outside, and he knocks it down! Gary Neal having the game of his life here in the NBA Finals. Neal tries it again, puts it in! Gary Neal putting on a show! A 21-point lead, he's got 24! Leonard drives, Neal touch pass to Green, another three-pointer, it's good! 13 threes for San Antonio. And to this point, LeBron James's scoring totals were 18 in Game 1, 17 in Game 2, and 15 in Game 3. It was a troubling pattern that, if it followed the one from the 2011 Finals, would then see LeBron have his worst performance in Game 4. And unlike the Dallas series, James wasn't getting the same level of support from Wade. Miami's shooting guard had only scored 43 points through three games himself. In fact, by the time the Heat reached Game 4 of the Finals, Wade had only experienced two 20-point scoring games the entire postseason, scoring 21 way back in Round 1 against Milwaukee and another 21 coming in Game 7 against the Pacers. If Wade was going to win his third title in his 10th year in the league, he'd need to be more of a compliment to James. Just like the previous postseason, when the Heat needed Wade to win Game 4 in Indiana and he responded with 30 points, 9 assists, and 6 rebounds, they needed him to come up huge in another Game 4 that also felt like a must-win. They took something from us. We got to go get it back tonight. From the beginning, all right? Nothing's difficult. Everything's challenged. Through adversity. Through the last minute. Through the last second. Wade was at his best when a championship team needed him most, scoring 32 points with six rebounds, six steals, and four assists. James and Bosch also combined for 53, giving Miami the performance from their stars that they desperately needed for a 109-93 win. Allen kicks it out to Wade, Wade to the basket, up and under, and banks it in. What a performance from Dwayne Wade and the Heat with their largest lead of the night. It was the type of show Udonis Haslam had seen from Wade so many times through their first 10 years together. I've always, you know, sat back and just watched D. Wade, man, and, and, and just be a part of his journey. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, you know, if I wasn't out there setting screens for him, I was watching him. So, you know, when you, when you have a relationship with somebody like that, you know, you you just happy to see them do well no matter what situation they're in. So for me, I was just happy to see my boy out there doing well. Wade went on to play 48 more playoff games in his career after those 32 points in Game 4. And he'd only surpassed that total one more time in a 2016 series against Toronto. It was the last time Wade would call upon his powers at that championship level. And it would come at the absolute perfect time. The finals were tied again at 2-2. Two to two giving Miami the critical home court advantage right back. It was usually Wade relying on James in big playoff moments. But James knew this was a much-needed performance from his co-star, and he said as much afterward. 
more than anybody, we needed D-Wade to be the flash of 06. And he definitely came through for us. Every single play that we needed, he made, especially in the fourth quarter. He was doing his Euro step, and he was wrapping the ball over people's heads, dunking the ball. I mean, he was all over the place, man, and we needed that type of game from him uh, to even the series out. By game five, the Spurs were looking to change the momentum, so Coach Popovich made a couple of adjustments. Manu Ginobili, who'd made a career of coming off the bench, would be inserted into the starting lineup. And there would be one more major defensive adjustment. Six foot eight forward Boris Diaw would play more minutes and guard LeBron James for almost all of them. Yeah, the Spurs had Kawhi Leonard, but he couldn't handle LeBron by himself, not in his second year in the league. Diaw, whose minutes were ragged to start the series, provided the perfect option to defend LeBron, especially with the strategy Popovich implemented, which was essentially to try to force James into contested two-point jumpers. Diaw didn't even play in the first round of the 2013 playoffs because of a procedure on his back that kept him out nearly a month. By the finals, he was a major player again. Here's Diaw. So, you know, in April, um, just a, a few games before that, I had a back surgery. Uh, they drilled through my spine and, uh, and uh, my back muscle to uh, take out a, a cyst that was inside my uh, spinal canal. So <laughs> I was trying to come back from that and, uh, and the back is something that takes some time uh, and you're using your back for everything. And, and, and so I, I was already you know, struggling coming back from, uh, from this injury and that's why the, the playoff already started. It's tough to kind of get back into the game. You know, the coach already has his, his team that they start the playoff and you have a momentum. So, um, so yeah, early on, I, I wasn't playing much uh, in, those, uh, in those playoffs just coming back from, from that injury. But then it's basically, yeah, Pop wanted to try something, different people on LeBron at that time, and then he took a chance um, with me. Dia was drafted 21st in the same draft class as James, Wade, and Bosch. Back then, he was effectively a big guard without as much bulk. By 2013, Dia's body was more solid, and he was able to do just what Popovich asked, give LeBron just enough space to get off a jumper but no ability to get to the rim. So, yeah, a lot easier said than done. So um, that's the overall concept. Now, uh, not letting him get close to the basket, that's the other part, you know. It's like, yeah, make him take jump shot, but how? Uh, and so, and and that's why, you know, they try to put me on him and, and maybe I was um, a little more efficient at it because of the body type as well. Um, I had enough enough weight, <laughs> enough strength to uh, actually trying to keep him away from coming too close. So I could use actually uh, my body. I could use uh, the length to um, actually back up a little bit um, because if you're too close, obviously he would he would beat you because he was also you know very quick, fast, and powerful. So I had to back up a little bit and use a little bit of, of my size to uh, be able to disrupt as well as he shot. It's not, you know, just let him shoot. That's not, you know, what we meant by, okay, you rather have him take him outside shot. He has to, he still has to be a contested shot because if he's wide open, he's gonna, he's gonna make the shot. So um, it was just pick your poison. It was just better uh, for us to have him taking an outside shot that is contested. Uh, I wanna say it again, it's not just an open outside shot. Um, but it was, it, was, it was better for us that than him coming close to the basket. Diaw's additional presence appeared to affect James. In game five, 
Boris played 27 minutes, and LeBron was just 8 of 22 from the field. He hit two of four three-pointers, but only hit one two-point jump shot in seven tries. The Spurs' defense was also disrupting LeBron at the rim, as he only made four of his ten attempts near the basket. In a third-quarter timeout, leading by two points, Popovich explained to his team what it would take to finish the job and take the series lead again. This game is a big boy game. Physicality, toughness with the ball. It's supposed to be hard, it's the final. All right, give them some adversity. Knock the stuffing out of them. The result was a 10 point Spurs win that put the Heat on the brink of elimination returning back to Miami for games six and seven. The San Antonio Spurs take a 3-2 lead in the NBA Finals back to Miami. We've been here before and going back home, being confident about you know, our game, being confident about you know, getting a win, which we are. The Heat would have to win both in order to earn its second straight championship. Without those two wins, Miami would fall to one and two in three finals appearances since James's arrival. It wasn't quite like going into Boston for a game six because you had a championship in your back pocket, but it was beginning to feel like a historic regular season would be deemed rather meaningless because the Spurs had just too much firepower for Miami. What would it take to overcome this deficit and fend off the Spurs? Only a game LeBron James would call by far the best game he's been a part of and arguably the biggest shot in NBA Finals history. You know, with 20 plus seconds to go and us being down five, you know, the human nature, doubt starts to creep into your mind. You see San Antonio fans popping their jerseys, you know, jumping up and down. It's a dark moment. Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DK Hoops only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. 
Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back in Miami where the NBA Finals return for Game 6. Will the Spurs close out and win their fifth championship? Or can Miami force a decisive Game 7? Game six between the Heat and the Spurs in American Airlines Arena was everything a sports fan could ask for. There was the juggernaut favorite, the Miami Heat, attempting to avoid elimination at home in front of boisterous but nervous fans, all dressed in white. There were the underdog San Antonio Spurs, established winners trying to complete a seemingly impossible task in a challenging setting. Here we go, man. Go have some fun. Protect home court. Hey, when you think you gave everything that you got, you got to give more. That's right. You got to give more, man. It's all about us. You could feel the tension in the building throughout the game, and neither team was truly able to take control. The Heat actually took a 40-33 to lead in the second quarter, its largest of the game, and it looked for a moment like Miami would create some distance from San Antonio. Wade pumps into Ginobili. Battier wide open. But the Spurs would truly put the Heat's feet to the fire with a 17-4 run to close the half with a six-point lead. Parker gets in the paint, kicks it out. D out for three. Won't go. Leonard tips it up and in with 1.3 remaining. What a hustle play from Leonard. And the second quarter comes to an end on one of those runs. And then open the third quarter with a Ginobili three-pointer that put the Spurs up nine points. The tension was building. Here's Battier. Tension was is, is the right word. Um, you know, we, we were just looking for a spark, anything, just just get us going. We just never happened. It just never came. That that six zero run, that eight two run, just just never never had it. And they kept making shots, and Kawhi's hitting threes. I'm just we're just like, you gotta be kidding me. So I'm, like I say, I'm not, I'm not gonna say that we were the most confident group <laughs> in the huddle. We didn't we never gave up. We never gave up. And in the huddle, you know, we were just saying, stay with it, stay with it, stay with it, stay with it, stay with it. But did you feel it? You're saying stay with it, but did you feel it? I, I don't. I, I I said it, 
I was trying to will it into existence. <laughs> I think that's probably the best way to say it. We were all trying to will that that feeling into into existence. I don't, I don't know in our heart of hearts if we truly, truly felt confident, uh, but we were trying to fake it until we made it. LeBron didn't have to fake it. He'd made it before. In a similar circumstance, with his team's championship hopes on the line just a year earlier. So his response to the Spurs threat was to put his head down and power through. At some point there... He lost his white headband and committed three turnovers in a sort of bull-in-the-china-shop type of stretch. It was maniacal, but it worked, as James scored half of his 32 points in the fourth quarter. Bosch explained how a desperate LeBron did anything and everything the team needed at the moment. We needed a big shot. We needed a block, a stop, leadership, anything. Uh, He's just been able to plug in that hole. LeBron James, who had lost his headband. You know, it doesn't hurt that he's the best player in the world, so. <laughs> Inside the dunk and rejected by LeBron, swatted it away. What a play. LeBron fakes up with it off the glass and in, under Duncan. Doing it on both ends, the MVP without the headband. He was 7 of 11 from the field in the period with two assists and a block shot. His stretch of headbandless play actually got Miami a three-point lead with under two minutes remaining. But while the Heat thought they could exhale briefly, Parker and Ginobili instead took all of the air out of the building. Huge shot by Parker, step back three. Tony Parker scored the next five points, including a three-pointer. And after Kawhi Leonard stole the ball from James on the next possession, Ginobili drew a foul from Ray Allen and hit a pair of free throws to put the Spurs up four. And after yet another LeBron turnover, this was the downside of LeBron's bull in the china shop approach, Ginobili then split a pair of free throws. The Heat were trailing 94-89 with 28 seconds left to play as the Heat called a 20-second timeout. You know, with 20 plus seconds to go and us being down five, you know, the human nature, doubt starts to creep into your mind. You see San Antonio fans popping their jerseys, you know, jumping up and down. It's a dark moment. As the team was in their desperate huddle, everything around them appeared to be preparing for a Spurs celebration. Not only were a good amount of Heat fans beginning to exit the building, but an NBA championship tradition was already underway. Arena personnel were crouching into place just beyond the edges of the court holding the yellow ropes that would cordon off the court in preparation for the trophy presentation on it. Said trophy was being transported onto the floor also, within view of those excited Spurs players and coaches. Spurs family and team personnel were gathering behind the Spurs bench with passes already in hand that would allow them to cross those yellow ropes and join in on the celebration. It was all actually happening right in front of them. So it was hard for the Spurs not to already feel like champions. Matt Bonner made the briefest of appearances in Game 6. He spent almost all his time on that bench. And at this moment, Bonner was fighting every instinct to celebrate. I'm a huge, like, don't count your chickens before they hatch type guy. Like, you know, stay focused. And that's part of the Spurs culture and the Spurs way. Like, you know, one game at a time, 48 minutes play harder and smarter than your opponent. So even though, yeah, we were in a pretty good spot, we had 
two shots to beat them in Miami and, and win the championship. I was at no point was that like, oh, we can do this. You know, it, it, it was like, it's not, it doesn't happen until it actually happens. And uh, so, so coming into game six, I, I don't know what I expected. You know, there's a certain ebb and flow to your point about a seven game series. That's hard to quantify or put your finger on, but there's certain games where it's like, all right, um, and, and fans, I think, can pick it up too, or anyone watching that watches a whole series. It's like, all right, this one's going to be a tough one. So honestly, for me, like game six was kind of a surprise that we were in the position we were in to win it. And it was like, oh my gosh, like, is this really going to happen? Like, are we going to beat these guys? Like, this team's unbelievable. Um, and, and here we are up five points. There's under a minute left. They're They're having to foul us. Like, I'm looking to my left. There's the Larry O'Brien trophy. The whole court's roped off with the security. Our friends and family are standing behind the bench with after-game celebration passes. It's like, it's like, holy smokes, like, this is surreal. Like, we're about to win the NBA championship in game six. Did not see this coming. And then no one saw what coming, what happened after that. What happened after that? was 28 seconds of some of the most unforgettable basketball in history. Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. 
Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. During a timeout with his Spurs leading by three and 28 seconds away from a championship in game six, Popovich saw that the Heat switched out Bosch in favor of sharpshooter Mike Miller, who famously hit a three-pointer earlier in the game, despite one of his shoes having come off his foot the play before. Mike Miller has only one sneaker on. Miller, bang! So Popovich took out his big guy, Tim Duncan, for a more versatile defender in Diaw. It was a move Pop had made plenty before and would do again. This desperate possession began with a brick of a three-point attempt from LeBron. But Miller, who was in for Miami's best rebounder, remember, grabbed his only offensive rebound of the game and kicked it back out to his buddy LeBron, who knocked down this three-point attempt to narrow the gap to 94-92 with just 20 seconds remaining. James catches, fires a three, way off. Rebound tipped, still loose, picked up by Miller. Back out to James, another three. It's good! James knocks it down. Two-point game with 20 seconds remaining. The Spurs called their last timeout. Popovich would set up the inbounds play, knowing the Heat had to foul if they wanted to extend the game, and subbed Duncan back into the game to inbound the ball. Miami specifically wanted to foul Kawhi Leonard, and they got that opportunity. Duncan looking, has to get it in, finds Leonard. Leonard fouled by Miller, who did a good job fouling right away. As Leonard was at the line preparing the first free throw, Ray Allen was behind him, raising his arms in a request for the remaining crowd to get loud. During the regular season, Kawhi Leonard, 82% from the line. Spurs players on the bench were locked arm in arm, the tension written on their faces. A lot of pressure on a 21-year-old in his first NBA Finals. Leonard missed the first, and everyone in the arena immediately knew the Heat would have a chance. In between free throws, Duncan was again taken out of the game in favor of Diaw, while Spolstra took out Miller and brought in Bosch. Leonard made the second free throw, increasing the lead to 95-92 with 19 seconds left. Neither team had a timeout remaining. Ray Allen calmly inbounded to Mario Chalmers, who jogged the ball up the left side of the floor as Allen went up the right side of the floor to use a screen set by Wade and plant himself in the corner. And it's 95-92. Spurs need a stop to secure this win. Chalmers in the front court against Tony Parker. Takes it left side, picked up by Leonard. Chalmers, meanwhile, had gotten a screen from Bosch that forced the Spurs to switch, leaving Parker on Bosch and Leonard defending Chalmers. This wasn't the Spurs' normal pick-and-roll defense. This was their no-threes pick-and-roll defense. And that's why all the switching occurred and why Duncan was out of the game. So Miami needs a good three. They've got time to set it up. 
Chalmers, left side reel. That's when Bosch set a screen for LeBron that he could either use to cut to the basket or flare out for a three. Because Dia was shaded toward the basket, LeBron chose the three-point option, moving to his left behind Bosch, and took a pass for a fairly open three-point attempt. James catches, puts up a three, won't go. The key here was Diaw, rather than stay in the paint and prepare for a potential rebound, saw that Parker was trapped behind the Bosch screen and attempted to jump out and contest what would have been a game-tying three-pointer from the best player in the world, the player he'd been assigned to defend in the previous two games of these finals. But that meant Bosch could waltz freely toward the basket, watching LeBron's attempt float through the air while he took to the paint. Bosch would then fight off Ginobili for the rebound he snatched with two hands. James outside, three in the air, off the rim, no good, rebound Bosch, seven seconds. Would Duncan have stayed in the paint and trusted a rebound would be on the way? We'll never know. Here's Chalmers. Uh, the biggest play of the game was Greg Popovich taking out Tim Duncan. That was the biggest play of the game when he did that. Did you notice it before the play started, that Tim wasn't in there? I seen it, and I was like, oh, okay. And I thought it was kind of weird. I was like, y'all really don't have a rebounder. And I don't know what's going to happen. Like, So when they did that, they wanted to switch everything. So I seen that, and I knew somebody would be open. So when Brian shot the shot, CB just dove to the rim. He had no nobody really decides to box him out. And he got it. And, you know. So CB gets that rebound. Not a lot of people are looking to your side of the court. Your hands up wide open. <laughs> Is that, were you thinking when he's coming down with the ball, please see me, I'm going to make this shot? Um, In that moment, you know, you just, like me, you know how I am. I want to take that last shot. I want to be in that moment. I don't care if Michael Jordan's on the court, Brian, Jesus Christ himself. I want to take that shot. So, therefore, I'm... Well, you had LeBron and Jesus on the court, by the way. Yeah, so I, in my mind, I'm is I'm open. Like, no matter what's going on, if you see me, I'm open. So, my hands is up. But in reality, you know, Ray Allen's right there. Everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. What actually happened was basketball poetry, basketball wizardry, and basketball history. Bosch secured the rebound and immediately saw Allen backpedaling in front of him, bailing toward that three-point line on the right side of the floor. Ginobili had fallen down while fighting Bosch for the rebound. So Tony Parker rushed over to try and contest the shot as Allen so gracefully gathered the pass, fixed both feet in that small space between the three-point line and the out-of-bounds line. His heels were hovering oh so gently above the white paint. It would have meant he was out of bounds if they'd come in contact. Allen had a handful of these situations throughout the year. He was very regularly the top option for important shots late in games. And that meant Heat players were quite familiar with Allen's tendencies in these situations. Here's Allen. It was like if you had this bazooka in your back pocket that you had. So he knew at any given moment, he knew I was always uh, moving around. You know, this is it's interesting because we've been in these situations before, so I knew LeBron was floating toward the ball. And as we switched, Ginobili was guarding me, and I just knew that we had to get the ball. It wasn't about shooting a three. It was about getting the ball, and I was going to get it. And the minute when I seen CB get it, I said, let me get my butt back out to this three-point line, which, uh, interestingly enough, I had worked on that shot. I did that every day before games, so... 
it wasn't foreign. As that ball left my fingers, it just felt like it floated. Didn't feel, didn't feel like anything. It felt like he'd done it a million times because he had. Just like Allen said this team's chemistry was no mistake, neither was Allen's ability to shoot and make a three in any situation. He was obsessive about his preparation, even practicing shots he'd never taken before in a game, like this one. Jackie McMullen wrote about Allen's regimented ways while he was in Boston, and she saw all that preparation work for Allen in that exact moment. Not a popular thing to say in Boston, but I was glad for him because he had prepared his entire life for a moment just like that. And that's not hyperbole. Ray Allen is an OCD cat. He shaves his head at the exact same time every day on game day. He had the exact same meal, chicken and rice. He had a, a very precise pregame routine. Every, he didn't leave anything to chance ever. In fact, I remember they used to mess with him, the Celtics. You know, Paul Pierce and Ray were good friends long before Ray came on the Celtics. And um, Ray had the same parking spot every day. And so Paul and some of the guys used to mess around and get there two hours early and park their car in Ray's spot, you know. And they, they would mess with him all the time. About I, I remember Paul telling me once they were on a plane after a big win. And Paul had, had like 35 points. And he was sitting, you know, he sat down on the plane. And Ray goes, what are you doing? Go sit in the seat that you were in yesterday. And Paul's like, shut up, Ray. And he goes... Paul, like he meant it, like go sit there. He, everything had to be exactly so. So in that moment, Bosch gets the rebound because Tim Duncan isn't in the game, potentially. Gets the rebound, kicks it out to Ray. Allen took the pass, rose up for three, and created his most memorable NBA moment as a 37-year-old in his 17th season in the league on his fourth NBA team. That's the beautiful thing about these moments because when the three ball goes in, it's like a it's like a bomb just hit because everybody jumps to their feet. James catches, puts up a three, won't go. Rebound, Bosch, back out to Allen. His three pointer, bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. You know, it's it just like such an amazing feeling. You know, it's like the hairs on your arm just raise up. Back to Allen, the long shot. Allen from downtown with 5.2 left. They've got to inbound San Antonio. They're going to wave it off so that they can look at the shot, I believe. I've been on that floor so much on that court, shooting that same shot, that exact shot. I've done that over and over again. So I knew where it was. You know, I knew exactly um, – where where I was on the floor. You, you just, there's no reason not to. Now, I was nervous that I stepped on the line because all it took was one time, but I knew where I was. And that's just, you, you know, you play a sport for so long and you work on your, um, whatever job that you have on that team, when you work on it, it just becomes second nature to you. And that's all it was for me. And, and you know, Mike Miller had this look on his face when we came to the huddle, and I know they called a three, but they were going to review it to make sure my foot was behind the line. I was so nervous because if my foot was on the line just a tad bit, then we'd be having a different conversation right now. This moment where Ray Allen hit the biggest shot of his life, a three-pointer that tied game six of the finals with 5.2 seconds left as Heat players and fans let out a giant sigh of relief, 
would immediately follow with chaos. Did Allen step on the out-of-bounds line? Was it a turnover? Did he step on the three-point line? Was it just a two-point basket that didn't tie the game? All of these questions would be answered after the brief chaos. Whistles were being blown, stopping play despite neither team having a timeout. And Spurs coach Greg Popovich was running up the sideline, furious that the referee even stopped the game because he wanted his team to act quickly before the celebratory heat can set up their defense. But the replay rules required the officials to review the Allen shot before play could continue. Ray Allen a three for the corner. It's good! Allen a three! There are no timeouts, but the clock is stopped. The clock is stopped to make sure it's a three. Allen hit a three from the corner to tie the game. San Antonio sees the clock stop because Mike Callahan, the official, wants to confirm a three or a two. Now the officials say it's a three called on the floor. We'll watch the replay. It is clearly a three from Ray Allen. His feet are behind the line, and we are tied at 95. The all-time three-point shooter in the history of the NBA, regular season and postseason, Ray Allen hit a huge three to tie this game. Once it was determined that Allen's shot was a three and that he didn't step out of bounds, the Spurs could now inbound for a desperate, full-court play for a championship. Tony Parker took the inbound pass with LeBron James guarding him, dribbled all the way up the left side of the court, and eventually missed a running bank shot as he fell toward the seats beyond the baseline. Here goes Parker, final seconds. Parker on the drive, puts it up. Overtime here in game six. The buzzer sounded, and overtime would begin soon. But not before Allen could officially recognize the enormity of his shot. Man, it just, for me, I always say that it was written. You know, it was just, it was just meant to happen, you know. And these are one of those situations where if I could give anybody uh, in my life the opportunity for this one moment to make sure that they stay focused and stay at the task at hand, because you never know when your number's called. You know, all the shots I've hit in my career, like this is the one that people will talk about the most. And this will be the one that, you know, at this stage, at this level, where it changed the tide of a lot of people's careers on both sides and, and, and certainly franchises. So players make plays and shooters shoot. And I just remember just feeling, you know, such a great feeling to know that you did your job when your team needed you to do your job, you know, to do something. And, and, and it's more than your job. It's going above and beyond hitting, doing something that, you know, put your team in a situation to win a game where you, you, you gain the most, the utmost of respect from all your peers. That, that is one of the greatest feelings. And one of the reasons that you play this game to be able to be relied upon to be, you know, by your team. Allen was relied upon to hit a pair of free throws with 1.9 seconds left in overtime. And he did so to put Miami up three. On the ensuing Spurs play, Bosch followed up that huge offensive rebound in regulation with a smothering block of a Danny Green three-point attempt as the buzzer sounded. Green, by the way, had already broken the finals record at the time for threes made in the series. That block was no minor feat. Game seven was officially necessary. Cross-court pass to Green. Green blocked by Bosch. Game over. There'll be a game seven. And the Spurs were devastated. Here's Matt Bonner. 
did that did that really just happen because again like you know it's such a long arduous process to reach that mountaintop of winning an nba championship it starts in the off season and preseason and training camp and preseason and 82 regular season games then the playoffs is like a whole nother season and then to get to that point where the trophy's 12 feet to your left and you think you're about to win it and then you know at the snap of the fingers it's ray allen makes that shot and it's tied and actually actually we're going back to square one Uh, it's hard to put that into words what that emotion was It might have been the biggest gut punch ever felt in an NBA Finals. The Spurs saw their future as champions, and then it was ripped away with Ray Allen's shot and his immediate declaration to get those MFN ropes out of here. LeBron didn't mince words when discussing what it meant to be a part of that game. Well, it's by far the best game I've ever been a part of, something you would never be able to recreate once you're done playing a game, and I'm blessed to be a part of something like this. Game seven would be nearly impossible to prepare for, with the sting of game six still living fresh in Spurs' minds. But would you believe it if I told you it could have been even more devastating for the San Antonio Spurs? That's impossible, right? Remember when I told you neither team had a timeout when that game-tying Ray Allen three-pointer went in with 5.2 seconds remaining? Well, that was especially important because In those chaotic few moments where the referees were stopping play to replay the shot and make sure it was indeed a three-pointer, Greg Popovich put Tim Duncan back in the game for Boris Diaw. Without a timeout, that was technically an illegal substitution. Here's the AP's Tim Reynolds. That review is technically not a substitution opportunity. Guess who's on the floor for the final 5.2 seconds? Tim Duncan who should not have been back in the game. So it would have inevitably led to a heat protest and we all would have had to come back three days later to finish the game. If Tony Parker makes that shot, the Heat absolutely would have protested that Tim Duncan should not have been on the floor. So let's play this alternate ending out together, shall we? After the review and ensuing illegal substitution, Parker takes the ball the length of the floor and just like he did in game one of the series, hits an incredibly difficult bank shot this time as time expires. First off, Parker's shot would have immediately supplanted Allen's as the greatest in finals history because it would have set off probably the most insane championship celebration ever. But think about this. The Heat would have seen the illegal substitution afterward and immediately filed a protest. If the Heat would have won the protest and it was a clear violation, It would have meant having to replay the final 5.2 seconds of regulation of Game 6, and then likely overtime. And if the Heat pulled out the win in OT, having to play a Game 7 immediately afterward. It would have been easily the most hectic finals finish ever. Imagine the Spurs, still damp from champagne celebrating their fifth championship in Miami, having to then regroup, replay five insanely intense seconds, And if they don't score, having to forget all that celebrating and approach a game seven for all the marbles that they'd already thought they had. Here's more from Reynolds. But can you imagine what that would have done to the league? Like, hey, here's a trophy, there's confetti, 
we're cutting down nets, we're destroying the locker room. Like the Spurs would have had to go back into their unclean, champagne-soaked locker room the next day, it w- or whenever it would have taken. It's it's so crazy to think that that could have very easily happened that way if Tony gets a little more oomph on that very, very makeable look that he had. But Parker did indeed miss. And while sympathy wouldn't have been part of the protest process, it is kind of easy to see how Popovich could have made that mistake in such a crazy scene. It's very much a no harm, no foul situation, but it's an unspoken detail to one of the best games in finals history that certainly adds to the intrigue of it. There was still a game seven left to play in this classic series, but game six was unforgettable for anyone who watched. I remember being in the building at two or three in the morning following that game, with reporters and broadcasters everywhere still shocked by what they just saw. So imagine how much it was still on the minds of the Spurs. The Heat would need one more win to close the deal and repeat as champs. And that lingering Spurs pain would make Miami's mission that much more attainable. Jackie McMullen spent time with the Spurs during the 2013 offseason. Game six was every bit as devastating as you would have thought. I remember talking to Brett Brown afterwards. Brett Brown was an assistant on that team. And he said he was sitting on the bench and he saw the ropes coming out. And he wasn't thinking, oh, no, no, don't do that. It's not the balloons, you know, in the forum prematurely right up in the rafters. Brett Brown in real time is going, oh, my God, we did it. We just beat freaking LeBron. I can't. This is I can't believe this. This is happening. And then it, it didn't happen. On the next four years of heat. That shot was the most biggest shot in the world. I just know that shot. To this day, I think about that shot. Let's not make this game six one of the greatest games to lose in game seven and not make this championship worth half. LeBron is Mr. Do Whatever It Takes. He is today's greatest player. Like at the end of the day, the respect that I have in this league and around here is because I won. It's not because I'm a nice guy. It's not because I'm the oldest guy in the league. It has nothing to do with that. They figured their best chance at beating the Miami Heat was to wear LeBron down. And how do you do that? You put him in the mixer because that was going to keep Miami moving out of their comfort zone, make LeBron work so much harder than anyone had ever made him work. Four Years of Heat is a production of iHeartRadio and the NBA. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.